the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled The Locust Scourge. That's The Locust Scourge, and we'll bring you the first portion of that message here today. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with the Locust Scourge. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Mark Twain once wrote, Nature makes the locust with an appetite for crops. Man would have made him with an appetite for sand. I mean, let's think about it. Locusts, as a rule, are good for nothing if you're a gardener. When I was a young boy, I used to go fishing with grasshoppers. They are technically locusts, and I'd stick them on, on my hook and I'd catch fish with them. And I'd do so in a way because, you know, they'd pop up in the garden. We would find them messing around with our garden. I'd catch them, put them on a hook, and catch a bass, a bluegill, or something like that. It was poetic justice to put a grasshopper on a hook and get a little even for him eating up the garden. When I first began to read the Bible, I was appalled to learn that grasshoppers are considered clean food in the book of Leviticus chapter 11. How many of you have noticed that? That you can eat a grasshopper according to the Bible. So in times of famine, when the locusts eat up everything, you can eat the locusts according to the Word of God. I'm sure you're reassured by that thought, aren't you? Now, I almost tried eating one as a child, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I looked at that thing, and I had learned that it was clean according to the Word of God. And and how do you eat this thing? I'm freaking you out. Well, children will do anything, won't they? I considered frying grasshopper legs in oil with a little salt, but I didn't follow through, through with the idea Now, I have a great respect for John the Baptist. The Bible says he ate locusts, right? But Jesus is my example. And there's no evidence Jesus ate locusts. So in our struggle to grow a garden, grasshoppers were nothing but trouble. I don't like them. They ate up the harvest we worked so hard to grow. And every gardener knows that these hopping, hungry insects are in fact the locust scourge. Now, we have been studying the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. How many of you are aware of that here? I mean, this is difficult turf to preach about. It's also difficult turf to to study through. So we're going to have to be engaged. We're going to have to listen well. And if some things don't kind of grip you right now, go back and restudy them. I mean, this is a challenge. We've worked through the preamble to the seven trumpets, which shows Jesus moving from the outer court to the heavenly sanctuary. We've done an overview of the seven trumpets, which shows at the end of the seven trumpets, Christ receives his kingdom in the most holy place. And we have worked through the first four trumpets, which show the battle for the Bible in world history. Today we come to the fifth trumpet. And the fifth trumpet introduces the first woe of the three woes, which is called the locust scourge, which comes shortly after the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. Let's review the first four trumpets together. The first trumpet was hail and fire that fell on the earth, the trees and the grass. And we learn that the earth represents Palestine, the Holy Land. The trees represent Sabbath keepers, people who keep the entire law of God. 
The grass is also here a symbol of the generation that saw Jesus. Isaiah says the people are grass. And so the first trumpet represents the fall of Jerusalem, the judgment of hail and fire that fell on Palestine because they rejected Jesus Christ. And when the temple was burned with fire, the trees, Jesus had said, if you do this thing when the wood is green, what will you do when it's dry? It was dry when the Roman legions came in and overtook the city of Jerusalem and brought the temple to the ground. They burned it, fulfilling the imagery of the first trumpet. The end of the grass represents the passing of the entire generation that saw Jesus die. And then we looked at the second trumpet. The second trumpet shows a mountain burning with fire that sinks into the sea. In the Bible, a mountain represents a world kingdom system with religious significance. And so we saw the Roman Empire sinking into the sea, just like ancient Babylon was portrayed as a fiery mountain that was judged by God and brought down. So Rome came down and transitioned to what we call the divided Rome of the Middle Ages. It was absorbed into a sea of barbarian nations. The third trumpet shows a fallen star that corrupts the spiritual waters of God's truth. And that star is called Wormwood. And in the context, we saw the imagery of spiritual adultery. We saw the imagery of corruption of faith. We learned that a star represents one of the angels of the seven churches. And so the image is given of the fallen church system of the early Orthodox period that set aside the truths of the Bible. In the fourth trumpet, we moved on. The sun, the moon, the stars were darkened by a third. And we looked at every one of those symbols. The sun represents the word of God and the law of God. The moon, the testimony of Jesus. The gift of prophecy in the apostolic church. The stars, the witnesses of God to the world in a dark world. And we saw the dark ages with the rejection of Bible truth led to the obscuring of these heavenly lights. False leaders of the early Orthodox Christian church at Constantinople and Rome claimed to be church fathers as they contradicted the te teachings of the early apostolic truth found in the New Testament. The call of the eagle that followed in Revelation 8.13 represents the call of the Protestant Reformation. The church that fled into the wilderness, the Bible says in Revelation 12, was given the wings of the great eagle that she might fly away in a place where they, meaning God, would feed her for 1,260 days, representing 1,260 years. And so the call of the eagle, that power that had rescued the church in the Middle Ages, calls the church back to God as it delivers three prophetic woes. It warns of three woes that are coming before Jesus returns. And so the Reformation was a call to obey God's word, to have faith in Jesus and go back to the Bible. And all of that we found in the first four trumpets and the introduction to the first woe with the eagle. Now, the fifth trumpet introduces the era of the Counter-Reformation period when the light of the Bible of its truth was fully rejected by the organized church of the Middle Ages. I mean, it's hard to believe that the church that gave us the Bible in the 3rd and 4th century that settled on the canon of Holy Scripture not only rejected its teachings and practice, but actually came to a point in its theology in the latter part of the Middle Ages where it officially rejected the Bible as authority over the church. The sun here is fully darkened because the word of God is blotted out and locusts darken the sky where angels fly and they pollute the spiritual air of the Christian church. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation 9 verse 1. Let's move through the scripture today together. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key of the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. 
and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Now we have a whole lot of imagery here that we could analyze and we're going to this morning. In verse 1, John says, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. That's how my translation reads. Stars in Revelation 1.20 represent angels for the seven churches. So a fallen star, as we've already said, represents the fall of the leadership, of the spiritual leadership that should be guided by heavenly angels of one of the seven churches. So there's no way of missing this. A fallen star would indicate that somehow a church system has fallen away from God. In the fifth trumpet, the fallen star received the key of the shaft of the bottomless pit. In the Greek, the verb fallen is a perfect verb. And it refers back to the fallen star of the third trumpet, which represents, as we learned last week, the fallen church of the early Middle Ages. So what he's saying here is, I saw a star that had already fallen. And in the Greek, it indicates it is fully fallen now. A fully fallen church system receives a key to the bottomless pit. When Jesus gave Peter the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16, 19, he meant that Peter would be the first to preach the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and then to the ends of the earth. And sure enough, by the Holy Spirit working through Peter, the man who had denied Jesus Christ, he learned to share the word of God at Pentecost. He stood up and he proclaimed and he preached Christ and thousands turned to Christ. He had the key to the Jewish nation. Peter was given the key to the Samaritans as he journeyed to preach to them. And then Cornelius, a Roman, came to him. And Peter overcame his proclivity for racism, which had been inculcated in him because of his upbringing and teaching and, and Jewish rabbinical thought. And he reached out to this Roman and he accepted him. And he brought him into the Christian faith. And Peter was used to open up the world with the gospel. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. The book of Acts, this was literally fulfilled. But the early medieval church began to teach that it had the keys. And whatever it said was true because the church fathers, it was taught, had received the keys from Peter himself. And the, the head bishop of them all possessed the keys of authority, whereby whatever he said, it went. It was okay because he had the position of authority. Friend, you can't contradict Peter. You can't contradict the early apostles and what they wrote in the New Testament and claim to have the keys that God gave to Peter. It does not work that way. In 1 Peter 2, 6 and 7, Peter taught that Jesus is the rock that the church is built upon. And Peter said, everyone who accepts Jesus Christ is obedient to the word of God. So you can't claim apostolic succession unless you are obedient to the teachings of the New Testament and of the entire Bible. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2, verse 4. I like how Peter says this. He doesn't say, come to me because I have the keys of authority. Come to me because I'm the rock. He doesn't say that. He says, Peter is saying before he dies, come to him, meaning come to Jesus, to that living stone, rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious. And like living stones, be yourselves built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter was the last person on earth that said, I want to be the focus of authority in the Christian dispensation. He says, don't come to me, come to Jesus. He is the rock. Look at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture. Now, is Peter here saying, well, because I have the keys, I want you to listen to me because I have authority. Does he say that in verse 6? 
He doesn't say that. He says, for it stands in Scripture. I mean, the great apostle who received the keys to evangelize the world, when he had to utilize authority, he says it stands in Scripture. And then he quotes it. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter is very clear that Jesus is the rock upon which the church is founded. Look at verse 7. To you, therefore, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected, it has become the head of the corner. A stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall, for they stumble because they disobey what? What does he say? They disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter is saying, Listen, if you want to get it right, two things you have to understand. Number one, Christ is the rock upon which the church is founded. And then Peter says, number two, you must recognize that obedience to God's word and true authority comes from the word. Obedience to God's word is the test of authority. The medieval church taught that Peter is the rock instead of Jesus. And those who claim to have the keys of Peter claim to have authority to do whatever they want to do because somehow they were in a long succession from Peter. And so the official church in time began to teach Christians that authority is not found in the Bible, but it's found in the church and the tradition of the fathers. I was listening to the radio just this week, and I was horrified to hear a prominent radio evangelist in this country teaching that the church is the rock. So instead of saying Peter's the rock, he moved to say that we're all basically the foundation of God's authority. We're all little rocks. What a misconstruing of the words of Peter. Friend, the only foundation you can build your life on is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. And so the official church in time began to teach that Christians had no authority in their life based on the Bible, that they must trust a priest or a, a pontiff or, or sorts or even the church. It possessed authority. So what happens when you reject the Bible, which is the word of God and the test of all truth symbolized by the Son? What happens when all you have left is a key that you claim came from Peter, but it really didn't come from Peter? In the fifth trumpet, the key that is given to this fallen star opens the bottomless pit and pure evil comes out of the abyss because of that key. Revelation 9 verse 3. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green growth or any tree, but only those of mankind who have not the seal of God upon their foreheads. And they were allowed to torture them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torture was like the torture of a scorpion when it stings a man. Has anyone here ever been stung by a scorpion? Raise your hand if you're in the minority. All right, how many do we have? One, two, three, four. Did it feel good? Of course not. It didn't feel good. How long did it hurt? A long time. The sting kind of resided in you. I was once in bed when I was a young boy in Texas, and my, my brother was with me. And we, we only had one bed because we didn't have very many rooms in our house. My mother was struggling to, to make it in life. And I remember very distinctly, a scorpion in bed stung my brother. It didn't get me. Of course, the right response is, Amen, hallelujah. You sing the doxology. He was hopping around the house. Because of that scorpion sting, and I couldn't do much to comfort him. I don't know if I tried as hard as I should have. You know, brothers have this way of getting at each other. I hope I don't get hit by one of those in the future. 
if you don't do something right in the past, sometimes it can come back to sting you in the future, right? So in the context here, the locusts appear and they're the very ones who darken the sun. And they have this ability to sting like a scorpion. We learned last week that the sun is a symbol of the Ten Commandment law of God and the written word of God, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when we see the sun being darkened partially, it means the light of God's word is obscured. But when it's fully blotted out, it means there's a rejection of the Bible in totality. We know as from our study, the Bible, in fact, is represented by the sun. Psalms 119.105, very famous verse. Amy Grant years ago had a song based on this verse. Thy word is a what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, what is the brightest lamp in the sky? What's the brightest light that gives light to the world? It's the sun. In Psalms 19, 1-6, the sun moves from the east to the west, symbolizing the authority of the word of God from the dawn of time, the east to the end of time, symbolized by the west. And King David says in Psalms 19, verse 8, that the law of God is perfect. And he goes on to say, it enlightens the eyes. It takes light to give light to the eyes. And so he obviously sees the sun as a symbol of God's holy law. It's like the big flashlight that illumines the dark world and gives light to it. And he says in Psalms 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's like the sun. The brightest lamp in the sky is the sun. Jesus' face shines like the sun in full strength in Revelation 1.16 because Christ is the living word. He is the light of the world. Before there was a sun, moon, or star, He was the light of the first day that overcame the darkness. If you follow the Bible, you will follow Jesus. If you follow the light of the Bible, you will follow it all the way to the light of the world who is Jesus Christ. The locusts appear in Revelation 9.3 like the smoke of a great furnace. In Exodus 19, verse 18, when God came down on Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments to His people, the smoke of the mountain went up like the smoke of a great furnace. This is very clearly a representation of Mount Sinai. The locusts are acting like they're God. They're acting like they're the new lawgivers. They're the new teachers. They're taking the place of the one who came down from Mount Sinai in such a picture as this with a cloud of smoke, a furnace, imagery. They're supplanting this. The locusts here very clearly are playing God, what we call a false theophany. And instead of bringing light to the world, they plunge the world into spiritual darkness. The Bible says in verse 3, the sun and and the air were darkened. The sun, as we have seen, represents the Bible and God's law. The air represents the atmosphere in which the angels interact with us. In Revelation 14, 6, there are three angels introduced. And when these three angels' works are done, Jesus will come in the clouds of glory. And if you look in Revelation 14, 6, the first angel is flying in mid-heaven, which means he's flying in the air, proclaiming a message for God's people to hear. And when God's work on earth is done, the angel with the vial for the seventh plague in Revelation 16, 17, will pour his vial upon the air. Why? Because the work of the temple is over. There is no more spiritual interaction of angels with human beings. The time to turn to God has come to an end. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, Paul called Satan the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the locusts darken the air because they are satanic instruments of darkness. 
that pollute the spiritual atmosphere for faith in Jesus and the Bible. They are getting in the way of people who need to know God's Word. They are an army of darkness that covered the earth just after the Protestant Reformation for five prophetic months. In the fifth trumpet, they are forbidden to harm two specific things. Number one, the grass of the earth. The grass, as we saw last week, represents people according to Isaiah 40, verse 7. The grass of the earth represents righteous people who belong to the land of promise. When the word earth is added to it, it's not just grass in general or people in general, but it's people who have a connection to God who belong to the good earth. Isaiah 40, verse 7, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Peter quotes this very passage just before he introduces Jesus as the rock in 1 Peter. Dry grass is grass that is ready to be burned, but grass that is green has life in it, and the meek shall inherit the earth. The locusts can't hurt that kind of grass. They, they cannot destroy people who God is leading. They can't pull them away from God. Number two, the locusts are not allowed to harm any green thing, the text says in the Greek. The locusts have no power to destroy anyone, spiritually speaking, who is seeking God. Now, in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The locusts could torture. They could take away the life of an individual, physically speaking, but they could not remove that person from the favor of God and from eternal life. They had no power over this. If there was any green in that grass, these locusts couldn't get at them spiritually, and they couldn't take eternal life away from anyone who held on to God's word. That is what it means when it says they did not have power to kill them. Christ gave his apostles power over the sting of scorpions, which symbolize a demon sting. Luke 10, 18. And Christ said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I mean, how many of you really believe that? That nothing shall hurt you. You ever felt like you're being banged around and knocked around by evil forces and you just can't get through life because the devil's too strong? Come on, you felt that way, haven't you? All right. Jesus said, nothing shall hurt you. Let that sink into your soul this morning. Evil cannot sting you and destroy you if you cling to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your faith cannot be ripped away from God if you hang on to the Word of God. Friend, nothing shall hurt you. There is power over the sting of the scorpion in your life. But Jesus says, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice that the evil angels have no power over you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in your relationship to your loving Father God. The locusts sting like scorpions because God's people are not exercising biblical authority in the Middle Ages that they should. The scorpions showed up in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. They were there to afflict God's people when they were disobedient to Moses and to God. And that's why they show up in the Middle Ages because the church is not tracking right in the wilderness wandering of the Middle Ages. Deuteronomy 8.15, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In Ezekiel 2, 6, scorpions represent a rebellious house that rejects God's word and you, son of man. 
Neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you. And you sit on scorpions. There it is. Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. The Bible specifically says that these locusts have no power to harm anyone who has the seal of God. Isn't that kind of comforting? I mean, if you know what the seal of God is, and in your heart, honestly, you hold on to Jesus. The book of John says God has placed his seal upon the Son of God. And you hang on to the seal of God that points to Jesus. You will be safe in the last days. The Bible is very clear about this. In a previous lecture, we identified the seal of God as the seventh-day Sabbath, the seal of the everlasting covenant. Now, why on earth would the Sabbath be of such importance in this grand scheme of things? Well, I'll tell you what it is. In Romans 4.11, a sign is a seal in a covenant. That will conclude the first portion of the Locust Scourge. Join us tomorrow as we conclude this broadcast. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, remember that there are many more of these sermons available for you at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts, and you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism, in a variety of forms, is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world, and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books, and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment, even. We have this free book to help you understand things a little bit better, entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. And this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.